It's Final Work Cricket Podcast, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, and it is the season premiere, season 13, episode one. We're recording on the 4th of October. Jeff, you're still in Vancouver. I'm very much in London. It's the, the first week of the closed season here in the UK with the county championship wrapping up on Thursday, I suppose in Daniel Norcross terms. As we head towards the cold, dark, lonely winter, this is probably around about peace in our time, Neville Chamberlain, September 1938, something like that. But also a time for reflection for us as we bounce on into a new season. Yes, season 13. I've been thinking about the old seasons because I posted up the first couple of eps from season four, going back through the the ones that have been lost to the internet. So there are only three lost seasons yet to go. And they're very short because our first few seasons were, were little. You know, season mm. one was six episodes, uh, season two was eight, and season three was ten. So they're the only ones that have been lost to the internet. But I have them. I have the original <laughs> tapes. I have the Watergate tapes in my possession. So they will keep going up gradually in the feed. And we've had <laughs> some people who are enjoying listening back to... Johnny Bairstow and the headbutt week with Cameron Bancroft in 2017. It all seems like a, a very long time ago. A happy, innocent time. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. Uh, and by the way, I should foreshadow uh, from the get-go that I have Winifred sitting next to me today. Jeff, you know this already, but our, our audience do. don't. Uh, I've got some Hey Dougie on the TV on uh, on on low and Winnie sitting next because she was poorly this morning, so I've kept her back from nursery. I've got a lunch to go to for the cricket writers today where Rach will take the baton, so to speak. But mm-hmm. this is my time to look after sick little girls. So if she's chatting away next to me well so it'll be that, such as it is mm-hmm. being a working parent and all of that well it's been a while since we've had winnie on the podcast True. Um, and she's she's much more verbal these days um she very very proudly declared a minute ago i like oranges <laughs> and i was like yeah good it's good to have something to contribute to the conversation um and and something that's inoffensive it's hard to get annoyed at someone who likes oranges fair enough it's the relativities thing she starts saying things like yeah. uh, um almost or uh, nearly you know i, I think mm-hmm. that's that's pretty cool watching her language development she's quite excited about coming to australia and we had um, rachel's mum's 70th birthday mm-hmm. on the weekend which is pretty cool too so yeah a lot of family time now at the end of uh, end of the season season 12 by the way was I, I went back and looked through it that was our by far biggest season because we recorded 32 episodes where ordinarily we would just kind of do one per week and story time there were so many interviews that we spliced in like i mean all the way back to paul kelly gooch yep. coney Woolvart. Catherine Brunt, uh, who else? Anya Shrubsole. I mean, there, there are loads of interviews that, that came in season 12, so that, that was nice, and about 50 daily shows as well through the English summer, uh, be it uh, the New Zealand test, South Africa test. When we were in Sri Lanka, can't forget that, uh, mm-hmm. the India-England women's series that was pretty big recently. I was also in Dubai doing the fair break in that stretch of time, So, and loads of co-hosts because of the fact that you were travelling at different points. I was off-grid at different stages. Daniel did all of the daily shows. You had Nat Germanos with you for the Com Games. Fidel, Fernando, Barat, of course. When you were away, Will McPherson. We had Matt mm-hmm. Roller. We had Dean Wilson, Henry Moran, uh, and, and, of course, Daniel, uh, who's been a mainstay as our summer newsreader for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we'll need an entire wiki, like, sub-thread, you know, just for all of the co-hosts, everybody who's been a Final Word host now because it's it's an extensive cast and it, it's nice to get clever, talented people to come in and um, give us a, a break here and there. Uh, we had story time. We missed last week, but this week will be a big one. We've got, by my last count, 18 revisits to get through when we uh, uh, hit go on, on that, which will lob on hopefully Yikes. Friday, Saturday. We're meant to record it in about... 
uh, in about 30 hours from now and there's quite mm. a lot of legwork to do between now and then but uh, I think we've solved most of them so it's now just about writing the stories so that'll continue apace and through the summer as well we'll have um, the Australian summer that is we'll have uh, we're, we're trying to work out a live show for Melbourne that's not without its complications because of the the World Cup bouncing us around the country. I'm only in Australia for a short window this year because I have to get back. I say I have to get back. I am getting back for the birth of our second child. So we will find a window somewhere, but it'll be probably close to the World Cup final. Would that Does that sound right to you that we'll try and sneak yeah. in before them? I think so. I'm, I mean, it's, it's not entirely ideal, but we do have two days in Melbourne before the World Cup final and we need to get a Melbourne show that'll happen. And you won't be at a test match in Melbourne. No. So, you know, we, we could potentially do a live show in Adelaide or Perth around the test match um, or Brisbane, but that's about as good as we can get in terms of, yeah, Melbourne Melbourne would probably have to be just before the, the World Cup final. But, you know, there'll be, there'll be people in town for that presumably yep. and who might be able to come to a show who otherwise wouldn't have done so and that sort of thing. So hopefully we can... Stick the landing on that one. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we were a good chance of getting Adelaide up again uh, because we've got the infrastructure there to do it, having done mm. it in two of the last three summers. So we'll work hard to do that. There'll be more cricket too, Jeff. You'll be leading the final word eleven on the twenty sixth of January, if not before. Uh, there was some chat on the Discord channel about trying to get a game up in Adelaide before the Test match. Maybe that could be the same event. We play a game followed by maybe sort of a casual live event. And, and of course, all of the cities we visit, we will do meetups off Discord. So if you're part of that channel already, we don't really control the, the meetup channel at all. Indeed, we are no. barely involved in controlling the Discord narrative because that's been um, leapt on by many of our wonderful contributors. But yeah, there'll certainly be meetups as it's described on Discord uh, throughout the course of the Australian summer, starting with the World Cup. And I am back in Oz for that in 11 days. And Jeff, I suppose it's roughly the same for you. Yeah, I'll be be back a few days before you, I think, um, into Melbourne and then uh, off to mighty Cardinia Park to see some World yes. Cup cricket in Geelong, which was not something I necessarily anticipated would ever happen during my lifetime. But why not? It's the sporting <laughs> capital of the world right now. Uh, why not make it happen? Yeah, I'll be down there with you at Geelong for that first week and then around the country we start to dart thereafter. Jeff, uh, we've got quite a bit to get through on the show today. I'll start with the women's game. We'll go through a number of Australian points because we're in the Australian season now. So we kind of tilt our emphasis from England in the northern summer uh, to Australia in the southern summer and where everything else patches in around that. But we got a message in the other day from Handsome Hammy G on Twitter. Thank you uh, for this. Uh, Jody Hicks oh, this, was playing. This is, this is uh, Hammy Goodman who used to work with us on White Line Live. Oh, this is Hammy Goodman. Right, I didn't realise <laughs> that. I just saw the Twitter handle. I didn't, I didn't piece it together. But Jody Hicks uh, was playing AFLW the other night for the Giants and there was Ash Gardner and Alana King there watching her go through her paces, which was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, there, there's still that crossover with a number of the AFLW players who've been involved in the Australian cricket system and vice versa well she's um, she's been going all right jody hicks uh, polled her first coaches votes a few weeks ago oh good picked up 21 stats in the game against west coast uh, a few matches back and and got votes for for that performance 15 kicks six handballs took a few marks as well um so yeah plenty more disposals than you know, delivery she was allowed to bowl in <laughs> seven seasons at the uh, Sydney Sixers who never gave her a single over to bowl and, and allowed her to bat on five occasions in uh, in the entirety of her lengthy fielding career. But I'm glad she's getting to do a bit more running around for the Giants. I hope she can be one of the interviews that we were able to record in Australia over the next couple of months, Jeff. I know we've said it in the last two summers, but there must be someone out there who listens to the show who's mates with Jody and can explain that our 
emphasis on her hasn't been derision. It's been kind of admiration that she's been sort of able to hang on to that cricketing dream for so long whilst getting so few opportunities. Anyway, we'll see. On the Aussie women's team, I, there's a few uh, news points through the week. One of them is they've released the new rankings, and I just thought this was mm. so glaring. Australia are now on 171 and they're in the lead by 51 points to South Africa in Oof. second on 120 in one-day cricket. That's the biggest lead ever. They've backdated all the um, rankings points historically, and, sure. and no team has been quite so dominant as the Australian women's one-day team is right now, according to the way they calculate the points, be it women or men. So, yeah, another marker for that extraordinary team. And they have a World Cup coming up, Jeff. We, we touched on it briefly in the context of Meg Lanning, but the groups were released yesterday by the ICC. So this is the T20 World Cup. Unfortunately, we won't be in South Africa because we're both committed to being in India for the Border Gavaska Trophy, which clashes smack bang, which is pretty annoying, to be honest, because mm. we missed the Women's World Cup this year in New Zealand because we were in Pakistan and it's kind of hard to square all of these clashes. So I guess that's the, the nature of the, the modern schedule. But yeah, that starts in the second week of February. And uh, what do you know? India and Pakistan, Jeff, have both been drawn in the same group of a global event. What? It's staggering how often this happens. I mean, if you were... Deirdre Chambers. Yeah, Deirdre Chambers. What a coincidence. I mean, if you were at the roulette table and, I mean, they're they're spinning spinning red every time, aren't they? Oh, they're running the hottest streak um, that that I've ever seen. Yeah, my my (laughs) longest streak when I used to uh, run roulette tables was... 24. I, I hit black 24 times in a row. What? Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, you know, the, 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 the statistics on that, I'm sure someone can send us in. The probability is extremely low, but equally the probability of any other specific sequence of 24 results in a, in a, a two-party system, if you will, is equally low. So it's just that that's a very identifiable sequence. Um, but yeah, when, right. when you are hitting the same, the same colour is, is the most, is the strongest one on roulette. If you're going like odds or evens or high or low, people get less excited but when it's red or black they can see the difference they can see the the numbers coming up on the screen of the historical you know the last 15 numbers or whatever it is and then they get Mm -hmm. really excited and their mathematics brains fail and they say well the next one's got to be red because you know the last 15 were black and you're like nope that's that's how it works exactly the same odds every single time and then they just keep losing their money because they all keep betting it on red in increasingly obscenely huge stacks of chips um, that made Mr. Packer very happy every time I tipped one over and shoved it down the mouth of the chipping machine. Uh, it's a memory that stays with me. But, yep, the, the ICC, they're on a similar streak with India and Pakistan being drawn <laughs> in the same group. Men's tournaments, women's tournaments, T20s, 50-over stuff. I mean, if we had groups in the World Test Championship, I'm pretty sure they'd end up in the same one. Well, even the Asia Cup with the men a couple of weeks ago and the Asia Cup for the women, which I think starts the week after next. I, I haven't seen the groups, but... You can be confident that however often India can play Pakistan in that, that they surely will. Were you on well, the, the show? Indian women have been, they're about to play Malaysia, aren't they? They've been um, doing a sort of goodwill tour, um, right. you know, doing the rounds on, on socials and so on. That they're, well, that, that must precede the Asia Cup. The team. Right, that must precede the Asia Cup. Because I know that that's, that's part of the thinking for Smithy Mandana in not playing in the Big Bash this season is that she's going to play in that. She wants to be fresh for the, the T20 World Cup that we were referring to before next February. So it's interesting that someone like Mandana, who was kind of the first to travel, wasn't she? Like it was mm. Mandana and Harman Preet, the second year of the Big Bash, I reckon. And yeah. it would have been the second year of the Kia Super League as well. They were the two high profile Indian players who were given the NOC from the BCCI, which you don't get with men's cricket, right? So but five or six years on, they're also experiencing, I wouldn't call it burnout, but they have to manage their schedules in a way that just wasn't part of the conversation you know, around that 16, 17, 18 time when, when it was almost a novelty to be mm. on the road you know, eight or nine months a year. And it was also at a point where Samriti Mandana wasn't the 
biggest name going around. You know, Harman Preet was, but Madonna was more like a development development player coming into the Big Bash, the, mm. the archetype of the player using that tournament as a way to hone her skills and, and uh, face better bowlers more often and turn herself, help turn herself into the kind of player that she became. And, and it did help, you know, playing on some decent pitches. She was able to get her short ball game happening. I remember that first season she was playing the pull shot a lot and hitting sixes and, and it was a point where people started to sit up and take notice of her in, in a way that they hadn't. So Australia have drawn New Zealand, South Africa, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh in Group 1. So that looks like the tougher of the two groups on the basis that only one of New Zealand or South Africa will join Australia in the semis. Isn't it ridiculous that I just take it as read that Australia will make the semifinals? Uh, And then in Group 2, England, India, the Windies, Pakistan and Ireland. So it should be England and India based on form and... Yeah, the, this would be, I suppose, the, the best chance that India will have in winning a global tournament so far. I know they came pretty close at the Commonwealth Games, but it's easier to kind of pinch a T20 than it is a one-day over. Like with a gap with one-day cricket with Australia is so pronounced because they play over 100 overs and there are so many more opportunities to recover, whereas that's not always the case in, in shorter forms of the game. But anyway, we'll be following that closely, even if we're not there, as we did uh, with the Women's World Cup earlier this year. We'll try and find a way to make that the emphasis of our weekly shows when when we're in India um, covering the Australian and Indian men. And I think it's different as well. If, if say, India had won the Commonwealth Games medal, but without having won a World Cup, it would have been a bit more of an odd kind of standalone achievement whereas you know the Australians doing it after also winning World Cups in both the formats then it becomes the golden varnish across everything else yeah. but if if you get the medal but you haven't actually won the global tournaments in the sport itself then it, it it would ring less true as as an achievement, I suppose. So it's a bit like with tennis and winning the Olympic gold medal without having won yeah. Grand Slams. I'm not sure if anyone ever fell into that category necessarily. And that was a big deal when Steffi Graf won the Grand Slam and the gold medal, all in 1988. Mm. But yeah, well, it was Andy Murray winning gold at at London 2012 before he'd won Wimbledon. Yeah. Kind of stood out. Kind of what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not. It doesn't quite count in the same way, you know. You can, yeah, you mm. can use it as a level up to the achievement you've already banked. But if you haven't banked that achievement yet, then the level up is a bit weird on its own. So we'll stay in Australia and we'll go to the Sheffield Shield, Jeff, for the first time in 2022. Well, not the first time we spoke about it earlier this year, but the new season begins as it did yesterday. So there are six rounds of the competition between now and the first week of December. By my estimation, four of those will be before they announce the squad for the first test against the West Indies, which starts on the 30th of November. There are also a couple of rounds after the World Cup final. So I just mentioned that because of um, the Glenn Maxwell factor. He he will probably play shield cricket. He's foreshadowed that he's available to play in that little Mm. gap after the World Cup. So, Do you think he'll be allowed to, though? Because Chris Rogers' coaching there has did have an opportunity, was it last season or the one before, to play him in a couple of games and didn't and basically just said he's not part of the regular setup and so there's no point dropping him in for a couple yeah, of games. I don't really remember that uh, the specifics of that, but I, I reckon the it was world's... In late March. The world's moved on a wee bit. Year. Yeah, it might, it might have been two seasons ago. I guess the difference there was that they were playing a sort of seven or eight games in the year. Now it's a full home and away, because of COVID that is, but the full home and away 10-round rotation is back. So that there's a, a few more opportunities, I guess. And Maxi, it's not all about Maxi, this conversation, but just to kind of finish this thought, he will be in contention for a test spot in India, even if he isn't for the Australian summer. So 
I, I guess there there is some merit in, in trying to get him in where they can, given he mm. hasn't played a Red Bull game since 2019. There, there's a chance there. Um, the first round is it's already underway in Perth between Western Australia and New South Wales. WA uh, won the comp last year, of course, uh, beating Victoria in the final. Then we have Queensland playing Tasmania at AB Field and South Australia against Victoria at Karen Rolton Oval across the weekend starting on Thursday. So yes, WA champions in 2021-22 with Aaron Hardy making that big hundred for the Sand Gropers in their draw over Victoria, but they were top of the table. So that was enough to, to hold up the shield for the first time in quite a while, I'm pretty sure, for WA. And yeah, I think it's significant as well that like we're kind of back into that pre-pandemic rhythm of being able to have the full home and away. They won't be compromised by having to sort of play in bubbles and all the games within a two kilometer radius as they were in Adelaide for a time there, Jeff, like this feels like kind of back to normal again. Yeah. T- teams making 900 against each other at, you know, the Karen Rolton Oval number two or whatever it was on the, the blandest pitches you've ever seen. Um, and a, a bit of player movement as well, only fitting in, in AFL trade month <laughs> where they're just trying to crank out content about mid tier subpar players moving from one shit club to another. Um, Harry Conway all the way off to South Australia. And has has started all right there, has um, been bowling pretty well there. And Malcolm Conn firing a few barbs about the entire South Australian bowling attack being from New South Wales, um, <laughs> you know, that loves, in, enjoys a, a little a little parochial shot over the fence. Not our Mal, not the Con man. No, no never. <laughs> Plays his shots, love him for it. Yeah, I mean, there has been some, like that, that player movement you're describing there. It's quite interesting with South Australia. So Joe Many retired and that's fair enough. He'd reached the end of the road. But Dan Worrell's now at Surrey. So mm-hmm. trying to qualify for England, actually, which is an interesting, um, he had a great season. He led... Surrey for wickets in a winning season so he'll be 34 by the time he's eligible to play for England if you're wondering how Mm -hmm. that's possible he's got a British passport so so long as he lives in the UK for three consecutive years for a minimum of 240 days that Mm -hmm. gets him over the line in the same way that Joffre Archer qualified a few years ago when they reduced it from seven years to three so he's in that slipstream but that means he can't play for South Australia because he'd be in Australia for too many days. So that's why Worrell's out of contention, which is why mm. South Australia picked up Harry Conway from New South Wales. So they, you know, on the basis of losing those two mainstays in many and, and Worrell, they needed a, a dependable set your watch to it, fast, mm-hmm. medium, take the new ball type. And Harry Conway has been that for a long time. When the test men aren't there, when Cummins, Hazelwood and, and Stark are on national duty, it, it tends to be Copeland and, and Conway over, over the last few years. So um, that's significant. Billy Stanlake, uh, king of Geelong, he's going to Tasmania. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I can really remember Billy Stanlake playing too often in the Shield, but maybe this will give him a chance uh, from time to time. Tim Payne is in the squad of 13 for Tasmania this week, Jeff. Yep. Your thoughts on that? And, and, and sort of working media street as well. There are a couple of journalists in Australia who Tim Payne drops his um, information to, not not in that sort of way, but just in a slightly more professional <laughs> context. And and it's obvious that this is a this is a managed sort of campaign. They're you know flagging it ahead of time and then talking about how the full story is going to come out in the News Corp papers when he's ready to talk about his side of the story and so on and so on. I mean, it's a very cosy relationship with News Corp papers, considering they're the ones that broke the story that um, ended his captaincy in the first place. But he, he, he doesn't, he's not holding any grudges on that front, put it that way. Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. That, like, he was a columnist, remember, for The Australian as well, Tim. So, mm. And the fact that it was The Australian, well, it was News Corp generally, but Stephen Drill's yarn, I think, ran in the odds to begin with that effectively ended his international career or, or captaincy at the very least. Um, that's probably a good thing. You wouldn't want 
you know, being employed by a paper to stop reporting on you. So anyway, so we're talking about Tassie. They play Queensland in that first game and mm. uh, they've got Kane Richardson. Now, I doubt he'll be available given his T20 commitments at the moment, but Richardson's another one of these South Australians who who um, who played for a long time over there. And, and Sam Triloff is also joining Queensland. The Vicks have promoted Ash Chandra Singer. Now, this is a name that, that keeps coming up over and over again. He made his first grade debut for South Melbourne last year and made 100 on debut. He's been in all the pathway teams coming through with the Vicks mm-hmm. and I think Australia as well. I think he might only be 18 and a number of people are saying, you know, this is one to watch for the future in terms of national representation now on a full-time deal. So presumably he'll get those opportunities uh, at Victoria in, in the four-day stuff this year. Teague is another one, Jeff. He's, he's about 70-odd not out for WA right now. He led the runs at the 19s World Cup last year. I think he was player of the mm-hmm. tournament. I've not really seen him bat, but like smart people and people who watch a lot of cricket. I saw Andrew Faulkner, who, who's a, a long-term colleague of ours who has watched um, more cricket than just about anyone in Australia saying that it's a matter of time before Wiley ends up playing test cricket. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's player movement with guys who have shifted states, but there's this next batch coming through as well, teenagers who will be paying attention to it as we work through the summer. And, and at the same time, there are players who are finishing up, like James Pattinson, who retired a couple of weeks ago from Victorian ranks, but is the new captain of Dandenong in district cricket. Pato is going to play full-time for the Panthers this year at Shepley Oval, which is oh. pretty cool. And Seb Gotch also retired, who was that great utility, wasn't he? He'd come in and yeah. you know win a Shields final or win a one-day cup or a big bash or something like that and uh, then find himself out of the 11. But he um, he had an excellent career for somebody who kind of made it through Premier cricket. Seb Gotch, halfway between the gooch and the crotch. <laughs> uh, that's where you find the gotch. But no, he did some some good work for the Stars as well, the Melbourne Stars at times. Very useful wicketkeeper who did some... Stuff in the middle order when required. And and do you think Pattinson's going to be... Do you think he'll be bowling wheels and all the rest or will he just be, say, batting four now that he's captain and, you know, maybe <laughs> sending down a bit of off spin? I think he'll bowl because it's Pato, right? And you, whenever he plays yeah. with Danny Nong, the, the footage of him... The footage of his wicket sell-up, he doesn't lose anything when playing district cricket. He still, you know, does a lap of the field uh, yep. like he's going to jump into the crowd like, you know... Pat Cash winning Wimbledon type stuff. Like, you know, mm-hmm. his enthusiasm, it's whether his body lets him, right? Yeah. Um, it feels like that's the main um, the main impediment. So is, is he going to be, in terms of the league that he's in, would, would he be coming up against um, your old mob, like, you know, the, the travelling carnival of faded superstars <laughs> at the moment against the entire Sri Lankan <laughs> well, team? That's a good question. Of the 90s and, and Chris Gale <laughs> and all the rest of it? Because, because Pato beating up on the imported superstar cobbled together 11 would be pretty good viewing yeah it's a different competition so Endeavour Hills playing the uh, subbies and Danny but Endeavour Hills are playing their their twilight T20 games with all of those stars like um, Karuna okay. Rutner Turamane Chris Gale David Milan Shaob Malik I mean there are about 10 yep. of them uh, yep. they're playing those games at Shepley Oval where Pato's the new captain so um, whether that okay. prompts a club in the subbies to buy Pato for the week I don't know it mm-hmm. could be if I were if I were another sub-district club coming up against Endeavour Hills that's exactly what I would be doing. I'd be saying, yep. look, we'll give you a hundred bucks. Come down and just bold rockets, <laughs> please, mate. And Paddo being Paddo, he, well, he, he grew up playing for Doveton, which is the club around the corner. So he may not require any financial incentive to come in and um, try and take down Endeavour Hills. That'll, that'll be interesting to follow through the season as well. As will this David Warner story, Jeff. Now, I just keeps, love this story. It keeps flaring I, I up. Have, I have not seen you as excited about anything, I reckon, as you have in the last few weeks about, <laughs> about the permutations, the possibilities, the threads to follow. You're standing there, like, mapping it out on your wall. You've got the red strings in between the pictures. <laughs> you know, you're invested. And I don't even think he should be captain. It's just more the no. – I guess it's more the – 
the mechanics of what's going on behind the scenes. And Dan Bredig has written more about this during the week. So where we've gotten to is that clearly there are directors on the CA board who are interested in this, right? As you'd expect, because we know New South Wales are keen on enabling a return for Warner to the captaincy now that Finch has left the one-day team. Now, how it would work is the CA board need to consult their integrity unit from 2018 who oversaw this panel and well, then they've re- sacked them all, haven't they? Isn't their whole integrity unit? Wasn't that? Wasn't it um, Ian Roy? And that was about it. And they punted him as soon as uh, their, their integrity officer, as soon as they'd finished the supposed investigation that made his position redundant. That, that's right. I, 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 I thought the same thing. Now, this is how I read the report from Bredig anyway. That they would need to go back to that committee and consult them and rewrite the code of conduct because in the code of conduct, if you don't contest the charges, you effectively give away your right to appeal. So. Sure. All these years later, Warner doesn't have a recourse, I suppose, is the way of putting it. So it's going to re- require the board to engineer this, not the player. Now, it feels like if, if Aaron Finch doesn't make the T20 World Cup, for whatever reason, if he tripped on a cricket ball or if he has a bad run of form against the Windies, I mean, it seems unlikely this would happen now. Things have calmed down a bit in Aaron Finch land, it seems, since those one day as in, in, mm. in Queensland. But Matthew Wade is the man they're looking at being the stand-in captain I read during the week. So, And he hasn't even got a Cricket Australia contract. But it says a bit about Wade's seniority, I suppose. And he has... I'm pretty sure he's done the job before. Has Wade stood in as captain for Australia yeah, in one of the in, formats? Uh, he stood in during the T20s against India, maybe. Um, oh, that's right, in, yeah. In Australia a couple of years ago when... Oh. We got we got some oranges. We've got some... Uh, I'm hearing more chat about the oranges. Is it is it quarter time? Time to get the, the orange wedges out. She wants to know whether there's any oranges on the television, which there aren't. Okay. There, there's, uh, he's using the he's using his bone as a telephone. You know, do the telephone ring ring. I'll give you that. I heard Prince used to do that in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Got a couple of ribs removed. Um, right, that's that's drifted off course. Uh, so yes, David Warner, that's still a thing. Uh, elsewhere in World Cup preparation, though, Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, kind of looking further. Um, a field not just on the Australian team. India have lost Jasper Boomerang more or less on the eve of the tournament. I saw Nikesh Raghani, who is my colleague on, on SEN 1116. There's a stat doing the round saying that since 2019, Boomerang has played 59 of 60 IPL games, but only mm-hmm. 16 of 71 T20 internationals in that window for India. And I think the point being made there is that in the club versus country debate, ongoing mm. stoush that we've spent a fair bit of time on the podcast discussing recently. Like Boomer has, has fallen, as far as T20 cricket's concerned, very much in the club uh, column. And now the fact that he's going to miss a World Cup feels like quite a big deal for India because like, it's their bowling which looks the weaker mm. of the two disciplines at this stage. They've got batting for days, not quite so much with the quicks. It might be a big deal for that Indian 11 in terms of how they play. I think on the surface you look at it and go, oh, no, that's uh, so terrible. He's missing a World Cup. There's a World Cup every fucking five minutes in cricket. You know, you, you can miss one. There'll be another one around the corner any second. So on that side, and particularly a T20 World Cup, it doesn't seem hugely important. And also in the club versus country thing, it's not actually club versus country in India because the BCCI, are, you know, they pretty much own both of the things. Like, yes, the IPL clubs are franchised out to private owners, but they're still the BCCI's cash cow. So they ultimately have 
say over that kind of stuff. They mm. would have clout over that kind of stuff. They're quite happy for him to play in the IPL because that's more valuable to them mm. probably than him playing bilateral T20 internationals, internationals for India. They don't need to know whether Jasper Pumra can bowl in T20 cricket. You know, <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty well established. So in terms of him missing those matches for India, it, it tells you essentially that those matches don't really matter that much most of the time. Uh, and, and the only times that they do matter are in the tournaments. And in this case, he's got an injury that'll keep him out for the whole tournament, but that doesn't mean he won't be going around in a 50-over World Cup in India this time next year. Yeah, I'm sure everything you said there's accurate about, you know, when they use Boomerah, but yeah, I guess it just stands out, doesn't it, that he's always been able to play IPL, but not quite so much for mm. India. And, and we don't know an awful lot about the injury either. He's got Shaggers back, but I mean, we don't, usually when someone's got a bad back, there's some detail. The BCCI statement mm. was was pretty light on last night. They're, they're in the middle of a series against South Africa in India. Just a couple of T20s. I think it might be three T20s and a couple of one day or something like that. But in the second of those T20s, they made 237 for three with Suryakumar Yadav making 61 not out from 22 balls with five sixes. Uh, uh, look out, Jeff. Uh, this is the, the coming man. Mm. And like you said, if they can get that batting team going well enough, maybe they don't need bowlers potentially I mean maybe you can rock up with whoever if you can put 230 odd on the board you're going to win most times this is the Freddie Wild argument I saw Freddie who's an analyst for a oh, lot yeah. of different T20 teams around the world and has a better handle on on this than most he's what India's bowling statistically or the, the way they analyze the, their bowling options isn't crash hot so why not going with eight batters well seven batters but an all-rounder yeah. at eight and, and let Hardik Pandya be one of the bowlers that needs to get through four overs and I, I, you know the point I, I may have gotten that wrong in the way I've explained it but you see where I'm coming right. from that you don't need to have that sixth bowling option if you accept you're going to go around a little bit if you think you're batting strong enough for it not to matter that gives you room yeah you know, Richard Punt wasn't in this T20 side until about five minutes ago either so they've got I mean this mm. is crazy depth Dinesh Kartik has been getting the, the number seven role as the finisher which for a time squeezed Punt out but there, there'd be room for both in this scenario I suppose uh, okay um, yeah, but we'll have more time to dig into that in the weeks to come when we kind of do our research ahead of that tournament. Another bit of news out of that during the week is that uh, Shimron Hetmeyer um, has been punted by the West Indies because he missed his flight to Australia. So it felt like there was a bit going on here. So he originally had a flight on Saturday that he asked to be moved back to Monday for family reasons and then wasn't there on the Monday. And the board unanimously, according to the statement, agreed to leave him out and then not make it at all. So the way it originally got reported was Hetmeyer missed his flight not coming. Now there's a bit more substance to it that he he's made his decision not to make that flight. Either way, that's mm. a that's a big loss for the Windies. But it's a classic bit of bullshit, poor reporting with bad headlines that are misleading. You know, he he didn't get on the flight. You know, it's not like he was driving to the airport and decided to stop at Macca's and didn't make it. You know, he told <laughs> them that he wasn't going to get onto that plane he wasn't going to catch that plane and they yeah. said well if you're not going to catch that plane then you're out of the squad you know gone because he missed his flight is not true he's gone because he told them he wasn't coming it isn't a it isn't a Bryce McGain to come it isn't a Bryce McGain style situation from that no. 2008 or 9 whatever it was trip to South Africa when he literally yeah. missed his plane uh, yeah that 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 seems to be what you're describing there seems to be um how the story's evolved but either way Hetmeyer not being there even though he was committed to coming until a couple of days ago, feels significant for them, especially given they, they have a couple of T20 internationals against Australia this week. We're at Carrara on Wednesday, so mm -hmm. by the time this podcast comes out, you're up with Scacy and the boys at, at, um, on the Gold Coast mm -hmm. and then um, back at the Gabba on Friday for the second of those T20s. And they stay in Australia, the Windies, after the World Cup as well for two test matches, one in 
yep. Perth and one in Adelaide that starts on the 30th of November. So a long stretch away from home uh, with the World Cup in the middle of all of that. But yeah, no Hetmeyer for the, for the duration. Well, there won't be a huge amount of crossover between the Test squads and the T20 World Cup squad True. either. So that'll be a, a different beast by the time the Test matches roll around. But yeah, Hetmeyer, a massive out for them, you know, in terms of those... Marquee players and Andre Russell's not in that squad. You know, I mean, Andre Russell's been walking around on one leg and using the um, previous remnants of a great career to get himself through being picked up in teams the last couple of years without being able to replicate what he once did. But yeah, there, there's still that marquee thing. You know, it's it sort of resonates that Cricket Australia put him up for the auction for the Big Bash and no one wanted to buy him. And then the West Indies didn't want to pick him in their squad to come out and contest the T20 World Cup. So that gives you a bit of form line on where one of the, the former T20 greats really um, has ended up. Okay, a fair bit to get onto on this side of the world. But before doing that and taking a break, we'll have time for a little bit of... Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge, yep. It's the game that we play with people on the internet. It works like this. This show is free. You can listen to it. Anyone can listen to it wherever you are, wherever you want to be. But some nice people realise that we need to get some cash coming in the gates <laughs> to try to pay for making the show. And so they send that in voluntarily. But instead of sending us in an amount that they might get from the Treasury, you know, an amount that has uh, the Queen on the back of it and maybe soon the King on the back of it, if you're doing it in, say, Australia, Canada, the UK, many countries that have monarchs on their coins and notes, instead they choose a very specific number uh, a denomination that doesn't exist in, in the denominations circulated by governments because that number relates to cricket in some way and we have to work out what the number means. And, and the number we have this week is uh, from a man who actually very kindly brought Winnie her new favourite toy at the final Word 11 game a couple of weeks ago, Guy Hornsby, who, Jeff, you and I have known for many years on the Guardian uh, live blog OBO coverage, but found his way to the final word in the last year or so. Guy's family have grown up a little bit now, so they no longer need the, the sort of toddler toys. And one of those toys is a make-your-own pizza set, and Winnie has been loving it uh, ever since she oh, yeah? received it a couple of weeks ago. Um, every day she comes in and asks whether I want sausage and mushrooms on my pizza uh, and brings it in. So um, uh, it's uh, it's been a good addition to the uh, to the toys we've got stacked up now for her as she kind of gets to that age, two and a half, you know what it's like. So uh, yes, Guy Hornsby is pledging without a clue, which is always helpful when giving us a bit of space to work in. And Jeff, you're going to have that space on the number 4.99. Yeah, so £4.99 and, and Guy did say, I'm leaving the field open, you know, but leaving it up to you to interpret what you think for. 99 might be and we can move the decimal point wherever we want we can interpret this in a range of ways one thing that stood out to me when I thought how would this work as a cricket number is there someone who's averaged with the bat 49.9 because I know that mm. you know we always talk up 50 like averaging 50 is the big the big mark that not many do not many have done and uh, in any format men's or women's really the 50 averages are pretty rare and it was interesting that I found that there was no one who's quite in that category. Like cricket's very rich with hard luck stories, Adam. There are all the dismissals on 99s and the 199s and all of the rest of it. Um, but across men's and women's cricket, across all of the international formats, the closest player to 50 without hitting 50 is Mayla Jaiwadna on 49.84. He's the only mm. real kind of hard luck story in terms of that average. Yeah, right. he 
He spent some time in the low 40s and even high 30s at points in the first few years of his career um, when he hadn't quite figured out how it was done. So consistently got above 50 later from about 2007 for a number of years. Dipped back below once or twice, got back up there um, for a while and then he got back up there in his last year of international cricket. He made an unbeaten double hundred against Bangladesh and got back up above 50. And he goes into his very last test match on 50.02 against Pakistan at the Singhalese Sports Club, which which is up there with Antigua for the flattest deck in the world. You know, it's a ground where he'd made 11 test centuries at 75. His final innings in test cricket, he makes 54 and wins the match. But that's his second innings of the match. And in the first innings, Saad Ajmal got him LBW oh. before. So... Wrecked his 50 average, dragged him down to 48.84. Not quite Eric Hollies and Bradman, but, you know, ruined the party to some extent. And in the second innings, Jai Wardner could still have got there, but he needed another 36 runs. So he would have needed to get to 90 in the second innings. And Saad Ajmal gets him on 54 and gets him in both innings and, and costs him the dream. Saad Ajmal in the long sleeves, I'm guessing, in that <laughs> particular match. Jeff, do you remember we, we were covering a test match where this nearly happened in 2015 mm. at the Oval with Michael Clark? He, he missed out in the first dig, which meant that the second time around, I think he needed to make about 130 or thereabouts, mm-hmm. but they made England follow on, so he never got the chance and he fell. Mm. I mean, I haven't got his average in front of me, but it was like 49.4 or something. It's like 48.8 or something. Oh, right. So he needed to go quite big. I know an unbeaten 100 would have been enough to have gotten him mm. above 50 or 250 in that final innings. It was Alistair Cook who managed to get it right, though. His average had dropped below 45 and he needed to make, I think it was he needed to make 80 in his final innings for England to reach an average of 45. And, of course, mm-hmm. he goes on to make about 180, so his average jumped well above 45 by the time he was done. But Andrew Sampson and I were kind of ticking off the runs for Cook. Yeah, it felt significant <laughs> for an opener in England that they'd they'd end up with an average 45-plus given all that he did over that long career. So that, that was a possibility. There's also uh, Steve Smith in India in 2017 made 499 runs in that test series, mm. um, which may be relevant as we and he head back there early next year. Scott Styrus at the 2007 World Cup made 499 runs, made big scores in, in most of the games. I, I just found this interesting because he's, he's one of those players who uh, is not the most exciting player you could think of. You know, if you, if you cast your mind back over those you've seen play in the past, you wouldn't necessarily share in whispered tones, I once saw Scott Styrus play at the MCG. You know, I mean, I did. But and, and 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 it was fine. But it's not quite in that category. But it interests me that he's like got himself such a good commentary career. There's there's that curious sort of crossover, Adam, where it's like you have to be an ex player to be a TV commentator, but you can be a pretty bang average ex player, and that's still fine. You can be Darren Ganger, and that's all good. You can be Scott Starris, and that's fine as well. It amuses me sometimes. Yeah, it's probably best that I don't comment about the relative merit of television commentators, given I'm sort of floating around in that caper a wee bit myself these days. But I understand the point you're making, that um, that with, with radio, it, it, you know, because there's always a position for a non-player to narrate the day mm. as the, you know, the lead commentator and there's the colour commentator or the, or the summariser or expert who has played the game it's different in in television because the lead doesn't necessarily need to have that background in broadcasting it's not Mm. quite as technically challenging as radio with all the different elements you need to do every ball and and so Mm -hmm. on so um yeah it does mean that all sorts of former players end up in tv and that's only growing as well due to the number of tournaments that are being played around the world i saw last week there was a i think there was a 
was there a commentator strike at the Veterans Comp or whatever they were calling it? The, the World Road Series? Safety Cup or whatever. There, there was yeah. some there was some stuff going on. It won't surprise you to learn, Jeff. Okay. With um, you know. Uh, some people not getting what they thought they'd get and, and all that kind of thing. So. <laughs> wow, that's the first time I've ever heard of that, of uh, commentators threatening to walk out halfway through a major tournament because they haven't been paid. Yeah. It's never come yeah. up before. Um, <laughs> but th- th- this is a meandering sort of no-pledge answer, but I thought really if, if, it, if it's a four ninety nine, I'm I'm on a bound to do one thing because I know that we've talked about Hanif Muhammad making 499 run out before on the show, but I don't think we've talked about it as a nerd pledge. I think we've mm. talked about it in maybe it was in the context of his 337 that he made in a test match in 1958 was it when he made the uh made the the epic 337 yep. and and we might have talked about the run out in the context of Bradman ending up 299 not out when the number 11 got run out and left him stranded at that point but I don't think we've actually talked about 499 as a nerd pledge because we've never had 499. No, this is, this is what I said to Guy during the week. My, he said that, look, whatever he sent us through probably won't be the first thing we're guessing, right? Even with what you've done with Mahala then, I suspect this is more complex and it'll require a revisit. But um, my first thought was, well, I don't think we've ever done Hanif Muhammad getting run out for 499. It's just not come up. We've, we've done his, yeah, his triple and, and other things that are adjacent to it. But yeah, yeah let it rip. Well, it's slightly Derry Ishmael Khan area. It's not, not quite that extreme, but a little bit in that... So when he makes the 337 in a test match for Pakistan, he's 23 years old during that series in the West Indies. And then just under a year later, um, you know, a few days less than a year later, he's in the semi-finals of the first-class competition in Pakistan, the Kaide Azam Trophy. And he's playing against a team called Bahawalpur, who are probably not up there with the West Indies under Gary Sobers in terms of, you know, bowling intensity, difficulty, facing, all of the rest of it. Bahavalpur have a, a checkered first class history, let's put it that way. They're, they're often in the first couple of games of in sort of the group stages of the trophy and then don't feature after that. They have some long stints of years where they're not playing first class cricket at all, where presumably they're out of a revamped competition and then they end up back in it. You know, they're still going around. So, so effectively, exactly what Derek Ishmael Khan had happened to them. They play that one game and don't return until like 25 years later. Yeah, well, they, I mean, this mob are, um, they're, they're more consistently present, but they're not consistently doing great things. But in this season, they go, okay, they make the semi-final. And so they are in a semi. They get pulled out for 185. And then after the first two days of the match, Hanif Muhammad is on 255, not out. And this is like a, it's a four day game. It's a winning draw based on first innings points kind of thing, you know. So his team's already won, basically. Like whatever happens after this doesn't matter unless like some incredibly crazy thing happens. So his brother, Vazir Muhammad, mentions the world record to him and says, I think you should bat for another day. The world record at this point is 452. Um, That's Bradman's record. Oh, Bradman, sorry. Brett McLaren's in the Yeah, 420. Or McLaren, four twenty-eight. I think it goes. Does it go McLaren, Ponsford, Ponsford, Bradman in that order? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So Bradman's got the four fifty-two. Vazir Muhammad says, "You know, why don't you have a crack on day three and see how close you get? Have a go, you mug." Have a go. So he duly, um, you know, Hanif Muhammad opened the batting, and he's he's just still going. He duly passes the record, and he carries on. And by the end of the day, there's two balls left in the day, and the story goes that. 
he's on 498, but the scoreboard says he's on 496. And we've had this kind of thing before about players not knowing what score they're on, you know, Kumar Sankakara and so on, because scoreboards can't keep up. So he thinks he's 496. He's got two balls left. He knocks one away, square of the wicket, wants to come back for the second because he thinks that there's one ball left in the day and so he he might not get to the 500. He might right. get declared on overnight, right? Whereas so because he thinks he's on 496, so he thinks, all right, I'll get two here and then I'll get another two and then I'll get the 500. Whereas instead he could have just taken the single to the non-strikers and chilled out and it's not like his brother would have declared on him on 499 not out overnight. They probably would have given him an over the next morning and he would have been on strike and all the rest of it. That's the story, which I think is kind of bullshit because uh, his brother's not going to declare on him on 497 either, is he? I mean, <laughs> come on. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like Paul Rifle, Michael yeah. Klinger energy, isn't it, when he was on 99 yeah. uh, having failed to have made a... First class hundred. I mean, yeah, I, I guess you can you can see a world where they try and it, look for the cost of two overs. It's kind of yep. what we were discussing earlier in the year around Sam Northeast, right? Like there are certain times in a game when you are duty bound to declare, which Glamorgan mm-hmm. were there, and of course they win the game with four overs to spare, and it was a masterful declaration. Sure. There are other times when it doesn't matter a tremendous amount, where like the David Warner three three five declaration. Whether Australia pulled out then or pulled out an hour later or two hours later, it really didn't mm-hmm. matter. There was so much time left in that in that test match. They're the ones that frustrate me and it feels like this might fall into column B. But but I, it, it also it seems to me like there was no threat of declaration. I mean, his brother's the one who had the idea of breaking yes. the world record. His brother's <laughs> the one who said push on. And maybe Hanif's just got the demons in his head in the middle and he thinks that he's, he's going to get um, screwed over here. But he probably could have just chilled out. But on the other hand, he had been batting for 635 minutes. Um, so he was, he was probably fairly knackered at that point and didn't quite think clearly. Anyway, they declare seven down for 772 and bowl out the other guys for 41 overs on day four. Um, <laughs> So the declaration wouldn't have mattered a great deal. But if if he felt a bit salty about missing out on the 500, he did follow it up the next week with 130 in the final five-day match and won the title against the combined services 11. Uh, and that was the 499 run out of Hanif Mohammed. Yeah, it's funny how he can make 499 and still be shitty. It's a bit like the Martin Crowe yeah. 299, isn't it? That he sort of, yep. it was the, the one run he didn't get that he held on to for a long time rather than mm-hmm. at the time hitting New Zealand's highest test score. Anyway, not to beat. Still is, isn't it? 299, I don't think anyone's... Mm. Uh, 302, Brendan McCullum. Ah, uh, of course, McCullum, which we talked about on Nerd Pledge when you were away a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and we're revisiting okay. on the weekend. That comes up again. Good. Anyway, uh, that's Nerd Pledge. Uh, that's the segment that helps us fund the show. Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to get involved there. It's going to be a massive season 13. A lot going on on Discord. And, I, and I've mentioned this before, but if you are a patron of ours and are not yet on Discord, for whatever reason, some people, like, it isn't, intuitive with the way their phones work or the way their app works and so on with Patreon, just send us a message. Uh, send us a DM on there and we'll send you a link and there's a effectively a backdoor key which we can give to you and you can let yourself in and enjoy, as it's been described before, the nicest corner of the internet. Right, Jeff, let's take a breather and reload. When we return, the thrilling end to the county championship season and how England got on in Pakistan. Hi, I'm Brian Roddle. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Final Word with Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon and Winifred May Collins now sitting on my lap. She is repositioned. Uh, She's had enough of sitting on the sofa. I've moved things around so she can still watch Hey Dougie over the top of your head, Jeff, on the laptop screen. And 
That's how we'll finish is this, off this podcast. Um, is this Dougie, the Pizza Hut delivery guy from the 90s? Oh, I, I hope it is. I hope he's got a spin-off <laughs> at last. Remember, I, 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 occasionally one must Google things from their childhood. I did uh-huh. I did Google to see how... Remember, Dougie got done for buying pot or something, didn't he? There were, there were some... Oh, no. Remember, there was some... Scandalous. Who would have thought a pizza delivery guy would be buying <laughs> pot? It was a bit of a yarn mid-90s. Um, and he did an yeah. ad with Dougie Hawkins, didn't he? There was a there was Dougie and Dougie oh. coming together. I'm pretty sure they, they found a way to get both Dougs in, in the same 30-second clip. If you're English and you didn't have the joy, he had sort of like long blonde surfy hair and wore a baseball cap and he was a bit of a card, a bit of a wag, but things didn't always work out for Dougie. And yeah. the ads, the one I remember is uh, when he drops off the pizza and says, because uh, I think his dad's ordered the pizza and like made him deliver it to their house. And he goes, how about a tip? And his dad says, work hard, be good to your mother. <laughs> That's right, work hard, good, be good to your mother. Yes. Uh, it, these days, Adam Zwar's probably the voice of Pizza Hut. He's the voice of everything else uh, mm-hmm. on, on the on the advertisements you see on Australian television. Uh, and... Um, and good luck to him for it. Uh, if you haven't listened to that interview, that's one of the chats we had back in season 12. Right, we're going to change continents here. We're going to move to where I am uh, in the UK specifically. A brilliant end to the championship season, Jeff. I'm not sure if you had the chance to follow this in, in Canada, but there was so much riding on the final day, partly due to what we ran through last week on the show about the Strauss review and the recommendations. So just to recap, mm. if they move to a Division 1 of six teams in 2024, that will mean you by definition, need to be in Division 1 in 2023 or there'll be no route to Division 1 the following season because we assume they'll simply take the top six next year. So getting into Division 1 next year is really, really important because if they go ahead with this 6 and 12 model, well, it's actually Mm -hmm. 6, 6 and 6, but let's call it 6 and 12, it'll be so bloody hard to get out of that division. And that's why there was so much riding on the final week because Warwickshire, who won the whole comp last year, were in the death zone. So Gloucestershire were falling out anyway. They were in bottom spot in 10th, but Warwickshire were in ninth coming in uh, to the final week of the season. So not only did they need to win, they needed Yorkshire to lose and other results to kind of go their way to get the great escape. And so mm-hmm. they did, and it was unreal cricket. So they looked like they were gone for all money because it rained a lot at Birmingham for days one and two. I think they only mm-hmm. got like 80 overs in across the first two days. So really they had to kind of find a way to manufacture a result. The way they did that was declaring after 70 overs late on day two, and they were 272 for four at the time. Because of that, they sacrificed up to three batting points because you get a batting point at 300, 350, and 400, mm-hmm. so long as you accrue those runs inside the first 100 and 110 overs is when he grabs my microphone. Sorry about this. But they probably assessed that Yorkshire weren't going to draw from the position they were in against Gloucestershire, who were also going down, because that game was going quite quickly. So they could afford to declare early and try and somehow set a game up on day four. Now, they had those 272 on the board thanks to Rob Yates, who's another tall left-handed opener to watch in the future. He was... um, Lawrence Booth got him into the Almanac last year after he made a century. He said that he had to go home and write a university essay about gorillas mating or something like that so that mm-hmm. that got a mention in the um in in one of the sections in in 2022 in the good book anyway so runs on the board but still heaps of work to do meanwhile they're playing hampshire now hampshire have 150,000 reasons to win this game themselves because that's the prize pot for finishing second in the championship and that's where they started the round so right. hampshire best bowling group in the comp you know jeff they've got mm-hmm. abbas and abbott and barker james sure. fuller they are an outstanding bowling group. And somehow, you know, Warwickshire have got to manufacture a result against them pretty much in two days from here. And up in Lancashire, where I was at Old Trafford, 
Lanks were bossing Surrey. They were on their way to a three-day victory, which meant that at that point, Lancashire had leapfrogged Hampshire, yet further emphasising into second. So, like, there was a lot on the line for Hampshire here because, you know, I I know prize money isn't everything, but when you consider the types of budgets these counties work on, that's a lot of money, right? That's a lot of nights in the Hilton. A lot of nights at the the Shamewan Hotel. Hotel. Yes. And then Hampshire go and take a first innings lead, you know, dragging it deep into that third day. They're bowled out for 311. It could have been a lot more if James Vince didn't get out for 98. Hauled out for 98, I'm pretty sure. Got caught in the deep. And Keith Barker, as ever, made 76 down at number eight. But, you know, it, it looks like this is just game over. You know, there, there's just not enough time. One day to go. Hampshire are leading, or they've got their first innings lead, and, and Warwickshire have only just started their second innings. But yeah. Warwickshire do as they need to on that fourth morning. They go the tonk. They're bowled out for 177, but they only use up 40 overs. You know, Dom Sibley made okay. 77 in 101 balls, positively T20-esque from Sibbers. Fastest he's ever scored. Yeah, in his farewell to Warwickshire, by the way, he's, he's signed up with Surrey next year, his old club. So his farewell performance was a, oh, yeah. he's, a noteworthy he's one. Get, he's getting back with Burns, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We, so. we, we try to keep them both in the one spot. Try to, try to, it's a quarantine situation. Um, Jeff, you'll appreciate that this is of interest to Hashim Amla. Hashim Amla is on 19,500 runs, right? He's 39 years mm. of age. He's not playing in South Africa anymore. So he's so close to that milestone. Samson and I have gone through it. There's only a couple of guys in world cricket who might get there now. Joe Root and Chiteshwa Pajara. At a pinch, maybe Dean Elgar. But, you know, it's a big number. Mm. He's 500 away and Surrey are recruiting Dom Sibley. Is there going to be room for Hashim Amla next year? three. But, about three. But, but about they're, three they're, got, they're trying to bring Ryan Patel through who opened in every game mm. this year. The, the point is, is that you know, Sibley's return to Surrey might might push out Amla. We'll see. Anyway. Four, four openers. I mean, if the Australian T20 side can do it, why not? Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So anyway, so Warwickshire in this really tough spot, but they do get 177. They set okay. Hampshire 139 in two sessions, two generous chunky sessions due to the time added on with rain. So there's going to be a result. That's all they really needed to be. They needed to be in a position where a result was viable on this fourth day. Enter Liam Norwell. Now, Norwell is one of these guys who, whenever he plays, he's a gun, but he barely plays because he's always injured. He came over with the Lions this year, last year to Australia and bowled well, but got injured again, missed like most of the season. They somehow rolled him out on the park for this vital final game. Took right, four like, for- like they've been tinkering, like Doc Emmett Brown has been tinkering away <laughs> on him in the garage and, and has finally got him in the position for one. They've got one shot if they can get him on the rails. I mean, truly, it's a, there is a bit of that. Like, the, there's yeah. no way he's playing unless the stakes are this high, right? They get him out on the field. He takes four for in the first innings. Then in the second innings, uh, his opening partner, Oliver Hannandolby, gets the first wicket, Felix Organ. And one from, of the great names, by well, the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Felix, Felix is Latin for happy. <laughs> so if your name is Happy Organ, um, well. <laughs> it, very good. He can play a bit too, uh, the all-rounder. Anyway, then Norwell starts this spell that it's broken for a couple of overs, but effectively 18.5 overs, three maidens, nine for 62. He had a bit of luck getting mm-hmm. Gubbins out on 46, which was the eighth wicket to fall. The rest was just class. It actually looked like Hampshire were going to get there when they had James Fuller, the all-rounder, in they were 133 for eight to six runs away but then Norwell comes on and in the space of five deliveries takes out I think it's middle and leg stump out of the ground for Fuller then he has four balls at Muhammad Abbas beats him with two of them gets one bang on line leg before wicket the easiest decision in the world and uh, Warwickshire the great escape the greatest escape they survive they win by five mm-hmm. runs 
and yes, Norwell um, takes 13 for the match, including 9 for 62 to keep them up. <laughs> it is one of the all-time great performances. And because of streaming, like we all watched it. It was like watching it on TV because, mm. yeah, you know, it's, it's radio commentary onto the pictures and at one end they only had a fixed camera so you couldn't kind of follow the ball quite so well and, you know, I suppose counties will improve their, their streaming technology as we work through the years. But, like, it was a communal experience. It was bloody exciting because by that point Yorkshire had lost and thus... Um, Warwickshire had um, had secured their berth in Division One for next season with this guy who was kind of bowling on one leg, but doing it as well as you possibly could in the circumstances. Mm. And and yeah, if nine sixty two is not coming in as an nerd pleasure <laughs> next week or so, I'll be deeply it disappointed must. because it, yeah, it will be worth telling the story in full sometime down the road when that one comes around. And also, I noted that Yorkshire have gone down they've yeah the demotion zone which is big i mean that's a big deal if it is you, if you're not if you don't follow county cricket they're always they're, they're they're that perennial club that's always up in contention that's always supposed to be up at the top end of the table one of the born to rule sort of clubs yep uh, obviously that's been smashed up over the past couple of years with the racism revelations and and the fact that they've been such an absolute shit show in responding to that properly and still are to be frank you know still haven't you know the the club the membership and you're not talking everybody of course but you're talking a big chunk of Mm. former staff former players um, people around the club up in that part of the world still won't actually accept wrongdoing and, and still won't actually commit to making things better in the future well you can't uh, feel much sympathy in terms of the karmic wheel coming around that they've gone the drop and and also this notable thing that uh, I saw people getting stuck into Joe Root for not playing in that game for for being at some god-awful celebrity golf day which is pretty yuck in itself when you're palling around with you know absolute uh, fill in the blanks as you choose you know people like Piers Morgan and stuff on the celebrity wanker circuit but on the other hand if Root had shown up to play for that game I mean, he's, he's been on leave. If he'd rocked up having not trained and having not prepared for that game and then not made runs in it, people would have got stuck into him for that as well, for not, you know, for, for thinking that he could just walk in and, and bat and, and not take the county championship seriously. Yeah, look, the reason why Warwickshire were able to achieve what they did on the final day was because Yorkshire lost in three days to Gloucestershire, right? And Gloucestershire were going down. They were the, they were the side that finished last in the first division. It was a low-scoring game as well, so... Yorkshire lose by 17 runs. It was Don Bess at the end who hit, I think, 79 not out, going for it at the death with the number 11, Stephen Patterson, who was playing his final game for Yorkshire and retiring. I think he was bowled for a duck from his, like, 39th ball or something. So they were, they were finding a way to that victory target. But, look, I, I understand the frustration from Yorkshire members that Ben Folks and Ollie Pope made themselves available for Surrey, went on national leave the previous week and were instrumental, certainly Pope, instrumental in that victory over Yorkshire, which gave Surrey the championship and a week later, you know, Root's not playing. I also feel sorry for Root because he's entitled to do whatever he wants on his time off, whether he's playing celebrity golf or going to the Maldives to lay on a beach or whatever, you know, your time off's your time off. And I don't think that it's entirely fair to hold Root responsible. However, if Root plays that game, is it likely that he'll change the result by a net 17 runs, probably, just Root mm. being Root. You know, there's a decent chance anyway that Root's worth 17 runs across two innings and, and thus that would have been sufficient for Yorkshire to have stayed up. Remembering that Yorkshire only won one game for the year. So, you know, it's their own fault. They got absolutely smashed at um, the Oval the previous week and there was some dreadful batting in that loss to Gloucestershire that put them in that situation uh, 
on the penultimate day of the season. But yeah, Yorkshire may have dropped anyway, Jeff. The CDC, the Cricket Disciplinary Committee, have held off uh, their tribunal hearings until the end of the season. And Yorkshire are going to, as we understand it, plead guilty to a whole bunch of stuff. So who knows what the points penalty would have been for them to have demoted them anyway, I suspect considerable. But yeah, it's a moot point because they've, they've now gone down and those hearings will, will play out as they were going to with Yorkshire already in Division 2. And just on that Pope folks bit, by the way, um, it, it also probably didn't help Root that they both came and were, were 12th and 13th men for that game against Lancashire. They didn't play, but they used their time off to run drinks kind of anonymously. They put their hoods on over the top of their jackets so they couldn't be picked up on TV and like just part of the team in that final week of the season. Like, mm-hmm. It's not Root's fault, but it's just one of yeah. these things that doesn't look crash hot, given it's like a double demotion. As I described before, Yorkshire now, if the Strauss recommendations get voted up, no sure thing. Uh, I interviewed uh, Mark Chilton, who's the director of cricket at Lancashire, uh, during the coverage last week, and Lancashire are in support of a 12-6, and look, maybe that's one of the compromises where they end up having a 12-team first division and, and Yorkshire can get back quickly. But if they don't, and if it does stay at 6-12 and that's what gets voted up, then they'll be in Division mm. 2 for at least two years. And your point about them being a giant of county cricket is true. It's it's unusual for them to be in the second division and, and they'll probably be there for a while now. Maybe after the disciplinary committee uh, hands it down, they'll be in a fourth division on their own, just playing themselves for <laughs> the next five years or something before they're allowed back in. And the other teams going up, I should say, by the way, uh, Knotts won the comp in Division 2, so well played to them. And Middlesex finished second, so Middlesex who had an absolute stinker of a year in uh, 2021. They were bottom of the pile in their group and I think they finished second last or something like that they go up in second spot Toby Roland Jones led the country for wicket 67 of them so I'm not saying that he's going to get an England recall because he's not the same bowler he was when he was playing test cricket five or six years ago but credit to him coming back from like six major injuries a number of surgeries as well that he can um, return and, and dominate the way that he has in 2022 well and I think that a last Note on that Yorkshire thing. If you're playing as much cricket for England as Joe Root is, you know, 11 months of the year or more, you're not a Yorkshire player at that point. Like maybe you will be again later, but effectively you're not. You don't play for that county. Like you, you can't necessarily have much ex- expectation that those players would or should be available. Yeah, and, and look, Root's good on this too. Like early in the season, Root just plays. A lot of guys don't. Well, sorry, I say a lot. A number of England players pick and choose their moments through that. April, May bit. Root's always playing. So Mm. the fact that Yorkshire didn't perform well this year is not because Joe Root wasn't there. It's because they had a shit season. And they're not a destination club anymore either. I mean, they've just signed Ben Mike from Leicestershire, but they've lost Tom Collar-Cadmore to go to Somerset. You know, like it is not... It's not the place where um, cricketers are queuing up to, to sign on for these days the way that they would have been, you know, four or five years ago when they were winning trophies under Jason Gillespie. So, mm. yeah, they're going to have to do a much bigger rebuild job, I suspect. Another Yorkshireman, Jeff, was in the news this week. That was Johnny Bairstow. Now, um, Will McPherson, our, our dear friend and colleague, has moved to The Telegraph, and his first story yesterday was a big exclusive interview with Bairstow about the injury that's keeping him away from the England team at the moment. We didn't really know a lot mm-hmm. about this. I mean, there was the... The WhatsApp audio, fake WhatsApp audio message that said that he picked it up with a Ben Stokes slide tackle on a 10,000 quid bet on the golf green, which was pretty funny, but, you know, about as credible as the um, the Channel Tunnel having a giant garlic bread um, grown in it during lockdown to feed the entire nation. It had that kind of energy to it. <laughs> but yeah, best I've spoken to Will. He said that he slipped down the side of a green, that his left ankle faced right when he tried to stabilise himself and he snapped his leg Oh. That there, and also concurrently dislocated his ankle. 
and they explain the story of getting him on the back of a golf cart, driving him back to the you know, to home base, back to the clubhouse. Uh, and then they crashed the golf cart into the side of the building, <laughs> dislodging a grand piano that was being hoisted up to the fourth floor, which comically landed straight on his head and his head came up through the keyboard. And when he opened his mouth, he had piano keys instead of teeth. And then you could play chopsticks on them. And then also when they, they got to the first emergency room or the A&E, they couldn't get him seen. So they went to a second emergency. Oh, this is like proper, mm. you know, for someone who you'd expect would get a bit of celebrity privilege. Not saying he should, but might. Um, he, he did it tough that morning at exactly the same time that Rob Key was announcing the T20 squad where Bairstow was going to open. But, like, that's way off the agenda now. Like, that nightmarish scenario has meant that, like, there was some chat that he might be back for the start of 2023. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, they're talking about spring 2023. He isn't even close to walking. So, yeah, it's a very, yeah. very serious injury. You've broken a leg before, haven't you? I've broken both of them. <laughs> broken most things both arms both legs bunch of ribs toes fingers not all at the same time I've done them bit by bit but yeah um even a, even a singular fracture in a in a leg it takes a long time to get the strength back to get like the confidence that you can land on it and that you can move on it in the same way uh, but if you've got if you've got displaced fractures like the kind that it sounds like he would have had if if there's if if you've twisted as you've gone down then you've probably displaced the bones and and you've got to put everything back in place i mean that's yeah that's a horror absolute horror one so i don't imagine we'll be seeing him back for i mean i'd be surprised if it was before the the say the start of the english season next mm. year yeah it's really sad just to think that like he's just had the most extraordinary so well. year six test hundreds in like eight matches or Maybe not even that many. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a desperate shame that we're, we're not going to see him for a time. Uh, that England T20 side finished their series in Pakistan over the weekend. Uh, they It was 3-2 where we left the podcast last week. Uh, the 6-T20, um, uh, which was at Lahore, Pakistan made 169 for six with Barbara Azam, 87 not out from 59, batting through the innings with Sam Curran, Reese Topley, David Willey doing really well and keeping it tight with the ball. England got their three down in just 14.3 overs. Phil Salt, you know, who we... Probably didn't sort of have marked as a likely opener for the World Cup, but he's he's certainly there and thereabouts with that claim after an unbeaten 88 from just 41 yep. balls in that win. And Ben Ducker, who's not even in the World Cup squad, continued his run of form with, with 28 not out to, to finish the job. And then in the seventh mm. T20, so the decider, the grand final, if you like, um, England smashed it. They made 209 for three. It was David Milan's turn to cash in, making 78 not out from 47 balls. You just can't keep him down, Jeff. Strike rate of 165 in that innings. And just when you think Milan might be ready for the drop, he, he goes out and, and makes a score for England. He had help from Harry Brook, who was player of the series. Uh, he made 46 not out from 29. We talked about Surya Kumar Yadav being the coming man. It feels like Harry Brook is one of those as far as England are concerned. Pakistan were never in the hunt in the chase. They only made 142 for eight. So a fairly dismal performance chasing... 210 to lose by 67 runs. They lost um, Rizwan to a ripper of a Yorker from Topley early on and Barbara's arm to Chris Wokes, who took three for 26. So another one of these kind of, you know, England players who hasn't been prominent in the series, but three wickets to finish and, and David Willey, two for 22 from four. He, he's in that World Cup squad. So, yeah, the postscript seemed to be seven games. Why not 77? Uh, it was kind of a, a classic of this long series <laughs> genre that we don't see too much of these days. 190,000 people went to these games, Jeff, across seven. And the PCB said that's the most attended series they've ever had in Pakistan, that they had 97% capacity across their, their two stadiums in Karachi and Lahore. So, yeah, I think that 
what a triumph. That It was a, a seven-game series that went down to the wire. It was excellent cricket. England have now been back to Pakistan and the, and the locals there have supported it in such great numbers. I, I can't wait for the test matches after the World Cup. And I like that it's solved absolutely nothing for either of the teams. You know, Pakistan <laughs> still know that if Barbara Azam and Mohammad Rizwan make uh, a shitload of runs, yeah. then they'll probably win. And if they don't, then they probably won't. They haven't got the middle order sorted. And England have no idea who they want to pick in any of the positions <laughs> because they've got people who might be good enough. I mean, the David Milan front, if you've got someone who plays really well only when they're about to be dropped, maybe that's not helpful to take into a World Cup. Um, there's always more excitement generated about a new player. So Phil Salt's the beneficiary of that yep. at the moment. I also like with Phil Salt that you can have a, a cricketer whose name is also an instruction that you can give in a restaurant. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's it's nice to have that versatility. They're a lot of fun, this England T20 team, um, it's even just for the internal politics. And, and yeah. I, I enjoy thinking about the incredible headaches that Matthew Mott has every day, every day with this very difficult to um, to keep tabs on sort of team that he had after so many years of, of just golden crushing juggernaut with the Australian women's team. He's got to earn his money now. Yeah, it, it could be a situation where they're twos, like, you know, it's like the old Australia A thing in 94, 95, because Harry Brooks in the World Cup squad, but like Will Jacks isn't, you know, Ben Duckett isn't, not all the bowlers are who are on that trip. I, I mm-hmm. said David Willey is, maybe David Willey isn't. Either way, they are spoilt for choice going to Australia and they- David Willey or David Wonty. Indeed. They're playing, I think, three T20s against Australia, like a bilateral series in the lead-up to the World Cup. So there's going to be a lot of cricket in this form of the game before the World Cup formally starts on the 15th of October. There are also warm-up games. I didn't even know this. They're playing Every Mm -hmm. every team's playing two warm-up games on top of these bilateral series. They're squeezing in before the start of the tournament proper. So we've got a lot of homework to do on that front. One topic where we have done our homework, and I'll end the podcast on this note for the week, is is the running out of the non-striker. We spent probably 25 minutes talking about it last week, and I yep. don't propose that we back over that again. But after cricket was like thoroughly united on Thursday about what a great thing it was with you know Liam Norwell and the championship finishing in that crazy manner and everyone having a very nice time and ready to sign off. That was just when the discourse started again around running out the non-striker with a number of threads. It's day 10, and if you really want it on Twitter, you can still find people with Twitter threads mm-hmm. discussing what happened with Charlie Dean and Deepdi Sharma. You have to, I mean, it's it wasn't a great week uh, for conversations online about cricket, I don't think, with so much parochial flag shagging going on, which is just embarrassing. And then, like, other threads from those who are trying to offer a considered opinion, but they get drowned mm-hmm. out by the replies. I saw, you know, even Ben Stokes got in on the act on Saturday when things were dropping off again he had a pop at Harsher and yeah kind of from nowhere and I suspect it's been 10 days so far it might be another 10 before things settle down and who knows you know the MCC I I still feel like they, they might just they might just say something further it feels like this is more more likely to be a trigger for a tweak than the previous mm non-striker runouts that based on the conversation we were having last week it, it I don't know I might be misreading this but I wouldn't be surprised if we, we saw some kind of tweak. Yeah, the, you could do. It is, it's the sort of thing where it, it's all comes down to the countries who are involved. I mean, English players and, and pundits are always sanctimonious twats when it comes to banging on about somebody who shouldn't have done this. But the fact that the team in question was India meant that uh, there are there are a range of corresponding Indian pundits who've taken it very personally as some sort of national slight when that's how the English respond every time. They always respond like that. It's annoying and infuriating and they're 
you know, they're, they're irritating for doing so, but they they don't discriminate in um, their discrimination, if you can put it that way. Yeah, and I and I I've seen a bit of this that it's like the culturally English to be taking this stance. As far as I'm aware, it's culturally Australian to be taking this stance as well, and Mostly, culturally yeah. Kiwi. And you know, I'm not saying like it's a white nations thing either. By the way, just that. It, it, this isn't like a uniquely England position to feel sh- feel a bit squeamish around running at the on striker. Certainly, no, when I was growing I'm up, also, I'm also tipping if Jasper Boom returned around and you know like won the Ranchi Trophy final, running out the last player at the non strikers end, that I don't think there would be united applause across the entire nation of India either. No, quite. It's, it's, it's more. It's more that yeah. I, you know, I was being playful describing this flag shaking before but that that ultra parochialism that that informs. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying all of the debate, but. A lot of it, unfortunately. And you can't get away from it because once it gets reduced to that and about, you know, who runs cricket and so on, like that's the stuff mm-hmm. that I just kind of just like close my eyes and try and stay away from. A number of times during the week I got tagged into threads about this because of our conversation last week and I had to just say, look, please take me out of this. Um, this is, you know, this is this has is gone on too long, as is this yeah. podcast probably. Sometimes getting getting tagged into a thread is like, you know, like you walk outside your house and someone pops a bag over your head and puts <laughs> you in the back of a van and drives you somewhere where you don't want to be and <laughs> they take the bag off and you're like, no, this is not what I had planned for my day. This is not what I had planned at all. But <laughs> please rescind. Uh, we'll, we'll retreat now as well. This yeah. has been episode one of season 13 of the final work cricket podcast we've made over 500 of these now we're going to make a lot more through the summer we mentioned in the middle of the show that if you want to support us in those endeavors uh it's not giving much away to say it's fucking expensive to get to australia these days and the domestic flights are no better so we're still going to do it all but it's um Mm -hmm. you know if if you were so inclined to support what we do with the podcast we'll be making it every day of the world cup patreon.com travel wise this is by far going to be the most expensive summer we've ever had i've just been doing this planning over the last week and it's horrifying yeah i am making a loss this summer i've already made that concession given that rachel winnie are with me for a bit of it but but we'll still be there can't stop won't stop but uh, patreon.com forward slash the final word we drop behind Jimmy. I mentioned this with Daniel a few weeks ago. We'd love to overtake Jimmy again before he plays Test Cricket in Pakistan in December. Uh, thanks to everybody who supports the show, listens to the show, edits the show in the case of Dave Collins and produces our social content with James Hurley. That's on Instagram. A lot of this ends up on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, all the usual places, all the usual suspects. And the next time, Jeff, we do this, it'll be for the Storytime Revisit Extravaganza. It's going to be a giant show this weekend. Very much looking forward to that. We have a feature interview coming out next week as well. I haven't recorded that yet, but it's a good one. I'm sure it'll be a good one because the person in question is extremely funny. Uh, That'll be in the feed next week ahead of the World Cup as well when Jeff and I return to Australia. I think that's it. Thanks for listening. That's it. Till then, ta-da. I had to go about it right.